Hi, writers. I'm glad we are together for a new episode on the craft of writing fiction. This is Jim Thayer. I like lists, and I'd like to offer a list. My top seven dialogue techniques. Why seven and not ten? I can only think of seven. I like to think these are major techniques, and the next episode I'll talk about smaller dialogue techniques, good things to keep in mind as we write our character's dialogue. Uh, Dialogue has a lot of advantages when we write, a lot of advantages in fiction. Many writers find writing dialogue easier than writing in the narrator's voice, and the reason is that dialogue is more informal, and it requires less phrase-by-phrase crafting. Another advantage is that dialogue lets the reader get close to the characters. Conversation is immediate. The reader is at the table with the characters. The reader becomes part of the story. Another big plus for dialogue is that it can be quick. It can be a quick and entertaining way to give out information to the reader. Another advantage is that dialogue is a way to vary the novel's texture. Uh, A a scene of dialogue followed by a scene in the narrator's voice or a big action scene varies the texture, texture of the novel. And yet another advantage is dialogue is a wonderful way to reveal, that is to, to show, a character's personality to the reader. So here are seven techniques for writing dialogue. First, have a lot of dialogue. Readers become part of the story when they are listening to the character. They, they're positioned alongside them. Because dialogue is often sharp or argumentative or funny or revealing, it's usually highly interesting. Readers like dialogue. So a good technique for us, is, for us writers is to have a lot of it. A second technique is have the dialogue, the conversation, be important. You've heard me say before that everything in a novel should advance the story. And that, of course, includes dialogue. Conversations between characters in our story should be important. Uh, The conversation should push the story forward. Dialogue, uh, of course, shouldn't just be chit-chat added to make the characters sound like real people. Our dialogue should reveal something about the characters and the plot. Here's a reliable test. If the dialogue weren't there, would the story be complete? If the story would be complete without the dialogue, leave the dialogue out. But if the reader needs to hear the dialogue to understand the story, it's probably good dialogue. Here's a third technique. Argument is the most interesting dialogue. Have you ever noticed this in in real life? You're at the airport or a restaurant or a shop and two people near you are arguing. You don't want to pay attention, but it's impossible not to. Argument is fascinating, and in fiction, it's especially so. When you pick up a novel to read, notice that we pay more attention to characters who are arguing. A couple of keys. Keep agreements short and arguments longer in our dialogue. And sometimes uh, for dialogue, 
that isn't argument, you can use a summary of that dialogue. Here's an example of a summary. He told her about his first day at the YMCA camp. That's a good way to handle uh, a visit to the YMCA camp, uh, which would otherwise might take a page of dialogue. Uh, or this is a summary. She described her wine making to him. That's a summary. And it's a, often a good way to handle dialogue that isn't argument. Number four, use BC dialogue, not ABCD dialogue. Conversations in our real lives are, are filled with small talk. It's important. It gets the conversation going and it relaxes us. But in fiction, the reader should drop into the conversation after the introductory setup has ended and should leave the conversation before the, the wind down, the goodbyes and I hope we meet again conversation. Uh, if you were to outline the dialogue uh, point by point instead of an A, B, C, D conversation, it should be a B, C conversation. In other words, our dialogue should cut to the chase. Uh, the reader will intuit that there was a start-up and a wind-down part of the conversation that the reader isn't hearing. Here's an example of ABC dialogue, which we want to avoid. I've made this conversation unnaturally short, just as an, ex as an example, but I hope it gets a point across. I'm late, Natalie said. Sorry, I couldn't find a parking place. Jenny replied, I should have warned you about that. I come here all the time and always spend 10 minutes looking for a parking spot, but you made it. That's the main thing. Natalie asked, what's the result? The diamond is fake, Jenny said. It's three carats of glass, same stuff our windows are made of. And the setting, Natalie asked, it's not gold? It's gold-plated, Jenny said. The top half is a micron of gold. The rest is copper. Is the jeweler sure of it? He's offered to slam the ring with a hammer and give me the dust. So he's confident. The ring is worth three or four dollars. I'll try to get my money back, Natalie said. I don't have much hope of that. Where are you going from here? Back into Nordstrom. I'm looking for some beachwear. I'll come with you if you don't mind. Anything to distract me. See the, that's the end of the conversation. See the A, which is a setup. The two friends getting together, talking about parking, and the D, the wind down, talking about going into Nordstrom. They aren't needed. This conversation, the dialogue, should have begun with, what's the result? And it should have ended with, I'll try to get my money back. I don't have much hope of that. That's the BC of the conversation. This is an important technique. Our dialogue should have only the important stuff. Number four, Artif our dialogue should be artificial, but not too artificial. Good dialogue in fiction should be a construct. Uh, it should be artificially concise, but not too concise. When talking with someone in real life, nearly all of us repeat ourselves and interrupt ourselves, and we start over and we hem and haw. Sometimes we use inappropriate words or we stop cold midway through a thought, and then we back up and 
spend sentences explaining what we meant in the first place. Most of the time, good dialogue in a novel avoids these meanderings. We want, but we writers want to make our dialogue sound real, as if the people are actually talking. So we might come up with something slack, like this. We're trying to make our characters sound real. Well, I don't know about all this, Jalen said. What are you thinking? You know, bro, I'm thinking of law school. Whoa, like you're a chem major, dude. Lanny said, I've been grinding, man. No more chem for me. This is so horrible that I can't write any more of it because I'm, I'm becoming dumber as I do. My attempt to make these two speakers sound real by using slang makes them, and makes the writer, me, sound like morons. Dialogue needs to be more structured than this. But good dialogue is not too artificial. Good dialogue is a construct, as I said. You don't want dialogue that is so edited that the reader thinks it's unlikely, uh, too stilted or too perfectly uh, dramatic or no contractions. Here's an example. Mike said, Joan, please report on the status of the experiment. The experiment is proceeding according to plan, Joan replied. The data we have collected so far is very promising, but we will need to conduct more tests to be certain. The implications of this experiment are far-reaching, and it's essential that we succeed. <laughs> this dialogue sounds like two computers talking to each other. It's, it's formal to the point of parody. Our dialogue shouldn't be so structured and formal as to sound like this. So a balance is needed. Not too formal, not too informal. It's, it's not hard to do. If our dialogue sounds like Shakespeare, it's too formal. If it sounds like Beavis and Butthead, it's too informal. The, the balance isn't hard. The fifth technique, avoid small talk. This is related to making sure our conversation is important. And it's also related to using BC dialogue, not ABCD dialogue. Small talk might be sort of interesting in our real lives, and it's important as a way to greet someone and get the conversation going. How are the kids? How's your cold? I didn't see you at church yesterday. You okay? Sure rained hard this morning. That's the cutest little dog. I used to like pepperoni, <laughs> pepperoni but not so much these days. And we writers try to make our conversation sound like real conversation by inserting small talk. It isn't needed, and it stands out as a, as a waste of time in fiction. So we should avoid small talk in our dialogue. Number six, the sixth technique about dialogue, avoid as-you-know dialogue. Dialogue is a great way to give information or explanation to the reader. The back and forth between characters is in their dialogue is more entertaining than an essay by the writer on, on some topic. We should keep explanations short, but sometimes explanations are necessary, and dialogue is a good way to deliver it. But dialogue that dumps a lot of information on the reader, and that sounds like a college lecture, is called As You Know Dialogue. It brings the stories 
forward momentum to a stop with information that often isn't as interesting to the reader as it was to the writer, and it stands out as artificial. Here's an example of as-you-know dialogue. Listen to how out of place it is. How is your class today, honey? Did you learn a lot? Her mom asked. Rebecca grabbed a Coke from the refrigerator and said, As you know, you use a firm brush to brush the coat in the direction of the hair growth. It removes loose hair and dirt and mats. I paid special attention around the ears, tails, and legs. Giant schnauzers can be trimmed or hand-stripped. I trimmed it with clippers because hand-stripping is more time-consuming. But it helps to maintain <laughs> maintain the harsh texture of the coat. A giant schnauzer should be bathed every two to three months or more. Uh, That's the end of it. I I wrote more to make the point, but I can't bear reading anymore. And I'm sort of exaggerating with dullness in this as-you-know dialogue, but I hope to make a point. Isn't it boring? As much as I like giant schnauzers, It sounds cut and pasted from Wikipedia, and it sounds as if the writer is afraid the reader won't understand if the writer doesn't go on and on. Uh, For writers who like to research, and, and that's me and maybe you, and for writers of historicals, thrillers, caper novels, and other genres. It's easy to start an as-you-know dialogue session between characters. It's clunky. We should keep our eyes out for it. Number seven, and the last one, our characters should sound different from one another. Uh, We've developed characters that are, are different from each other for interest and for the use of contrast and because different characters are fun to read about and fun to write about. Your characters should also speak differently from one another. Each might have her own personality and each should have her own way of talking. There's a tendency among us writers to make our characters sound like us. Our default default mode of speaking in real life becomes our default mode of writing dialogue. Sure happens to me. Having our characters speak as we speak is the easiest way to craft dialogue, and most of the time it works well. But we may have a character who speaks a certain way. Uh, Maybe she's a teen filled with slang. Or maybe English is a second or a third language, and once in a while, he struggles with a word. Maybe she's 90 years old and speaks as she did when she was young, using words from back then. Or maybe he's overeducated and is pompous and condescending, so likes to throw in obscure words now and then. Uh, These characters deserve something of a patois of their own, something distinctive, not done to excess, but fun to read. Most of our characters should sound like us in real life, which is easy on the writer and the reader. But once in a while, giving a character a certain speech pattern uh, is really entertaining, and it's a good way to reveal things about the character. Uh, As I mentioned, a character's dialogue is a strong way to reveal, that is to show, a character to the reader. Uh, Different characters sounding differently from one another will show different things to the reader. So that's the list. Let me mention each of them briefly, the seven. One, have a lot of dialogue. Two, have the conversation be important. Three, argument is the best 
dialogue. Four, use BC dialogue, which means cut to the chase in the conversation. Five, avoid small talk. Six, avoid as-you-know dialogue. And seven, our characters should sound different from one another. Uh, in our next episode, I'll return to dialogue and mention some, mention some smaller sentence-by-sentence techniques that'll sharpen our, our fictional uh, conversations. If you're finding these episodes useful, please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber, which will support the podcast. Below the description of the episode is a support the show link, which will take you to a Patreon page. Uh, Your subscription will be much appreciated. I would like to mention people in fiction we hate. Some characters from famous novels who are bad people but who aren't the main villains in the stories. These are secondary characters who, when they have a choice, they always do the mean thing, the the bad thing. They almost always do wrong. And the reason these secondary mean characters are so much fun is that the reader learns to wince when they appear in the story and to groan in, in anticipation of how they will stir the pot in a bad way. These characters say no. They place obstacles, they increase tension, and they make things harder for our hero. And that's why they're there. Adding a character like this is a strong plot device. Here are a few famous bad people. Not the main villains in these stories, but bad people. Bad for the hero, but great for the stories. A few of these dastardly characters. Uncle Matthew, in Nancy Mitford's wonderful novel, The Pursuit of Love. Uncle Matthew constantly belittles his daughters and won't let them get an education. He refuses to send them to school and utterly rules out college. He automatically dislikes any male they might be thinking about. Uncle Matthew inherited money and land and doesn't work and never has worked. Uh, His passion is chasing to death foxes with a pack of dogs. His first impression of someone is set in concrete, and after meeting that person, uh, he dislikes them and never changes his mind. He wakes up at 5 in the morning and turns on the Victrola as loud as it can be to wake up everyone else in the house. And if that doesn't work, he walks around outside with a whip and cracks it (laughs) under bedroom windows. He has an extremely short temper and, and can begin yelling at any time, even at a party. His daughters and everyone else is afraid of him, so much so that the, the youngest daughter has been saving money since she was eight years old so she can someday run away. She, she sells her Christmas presents to add money to her escape fund. Another bad character, not the main villain, but a bad one, is Uriah Heep from Charles Dickens's David Copperfield. He's described as having a humbled, meek, submissive appearance with a snake-like twist to his mouth and reddish-brown hair. He's also said to have a cringing way of, of moving and a whining voice. He's a classic hypocrite. 
He tells everyone he's humble and he acts submissively and uh, submissively and in a servile manner, but he's actually arrogant and a schemer. Uriah Heep first appears in the novel as a law clerk in the office of Mr. Wickfield, David's stepfather, and he gains Mr. Wickfield's trust and begins to exploit Mr. Wickfield's weaknesses, including his alcoholism and, and, and financial problems. Uh, Uriah Heep eventually blackmails him into making him a partner in the law firm. Another character we love to hate is Dolores Umbridge from the Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling. She uh, is a half-blood witch and uh, and is the British minister is in the British Ministry of Magic. She's described in the novel as a toad of a woman <laughs> with a slack mouth and a large bow that is often in her hair. Uh, she's power-hungry, she's a bureaucrat, uh, she's obsessed with following the rules, even if they're unjust to the children. She's arrogant, and she meddles in things, she's condescending, she hides these traits under a sweet, girlish presentation of herself. Uh, J.K. Rowling didn't meet a beat with Dolores Umbridge. Boy, does the reader hate her. She's a fabulous creation. How about Prince Nikolai Bolkonsky in War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy? He was a famous army general, but now lives in a remote estate called Bald Hills. He yells and belittles his daughter Mary, calling her a moron to others while in front of others when she's in the room. And he has few, maybe no, redeeming qualities. He's humorless brittle, entirely self-centered. He constantly complains. Everything is everyone else's fault. He erupts in tirades. He's intensely unlikable. Every time Tolstoy introduces him, the reader pays attention. Or Mrs. John Dashwood in Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility, where she tries and succeeds in stealing an inheritance. The Dashwood sisters, Eleanor, who's 19, and Marianne, who's 16. Uh, they are coming of age, and they have, have an older half-brother, John, and a younger sister, Margaret. Uh, Mrs. John Dashwood did not at all approve of what her husband intended to do for his sisters. To take 3,000 pounds from the fortune of their dear little boy would be impoverishing him to the most dreadful degree. She begged him to think again on the subject. How could he answer it to himself to rob his child, and his only child, too, of a large sum? And what possible claim could the Mrs. Dashwood, who were related to him only by half-blood, which she considered as no relationship at all, have on his generosity, generosity to so large an amount? Uh, the pages where Mrs. Dashwood convinces Mr. Dashwood to steal the inheritance are, are intensely funny, but they also reveal her to be a bad person. She comes around a little bit in the story, but it's fun disliking her early in the story. How about Sergeant Obadiah Hakeswill in Bernard, Cornwell, Bernard Cornwell's Richard Sharp series? Hakeswell is cruel and sadistic, and he takes pleasure in tormenting his men. He's corrupt. 
He uh, steals from his men and he takes bribes. Uh, He's tall with a huge belly and a long scrawny neck. He has a huge scar on his face. Uh, He has yellow skin, jaundiced skin, baby blue eyes and blonde hair. Uh, His hair is going gray uh, over a scarred scalp. He fears nothing, and the reason he fears nothing is he truly believes he cannot die. And he is a thorn in Richard Sharp's side. He's a wonderful guy to dislike. Uh, Lady Catherine de Bourges from Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. She's the aunt of Mr. Darcy. She's pompous and condescending. And she tries to interfere in Elizabeth Bennet's relationship with Mr. Darcy because Elizabeth is not good enough for her nephew. She calls Elizabeth a young lady of little consequence and says that her family is not worthy of being known to her. Uh, She threatens to disinherit Mr. Darcy if he marries Elizabeth. And listen to this. Uh, She says to Elizabeth, Obstinate, headstrong girl, I am ashamed of you. Is this your gratitude for my attentions to you last spring? Is nothing due to me on that score? Let us sit down. You are to understand, Miss Bennet, that I came here with the determined resolution of carrying my purpose, nor will I be dissuaded from it. I have not been used, used to submit to any person's whim. I have not been in the habit of brooking disappointment. Holy cow, do we readers dislike Lady Catherine. With the possible exception of Mrs. Dashwood, who reforms a bit, these characters are irredeemably mean and greedy. Why did the authors create these malevolent characters? To cause misery misery and to torment the protagonist. In fiction, that's a good thing. If we writers want to have some fun when plotting and writing our novels, we can create an Obadiah Hakeswell or a Uriah Heap or a Dolores Umbridge. Your mean character will ramp up the plot. Readers will love to hate them. I don't have anyone like Uriah Heap or Lady Catherine or Prince Bolkonsky in my life, and I hope you don't either. Until next time, when we'll talk more about dialogue, this is Jim Thayer. Please keep tapping those keys. <laughs>